everyone. Before we get into tonight's stories, I have a quick question. I know I've asked before if you all believe in cryptids or monsters and things like that, but I'm more curious about two specific ones. Do you believe in Bigfoot and do you believe in the Loch Ness Monster? Because I was part of an expedition tasked with proving if the Loch Ness Monster existed. Is this something that happened a few years ago and it still haunts my dreams every night? We all stood around the boat that had been provided to us. It was a freezing cold morning and a mist hung heavy across the lake. There were ten of us taking part in this expedition. It was led by a professor named Alan Connors, who had convinced some people with deep pockets to fund this. The rest of the team were made up of grad students and also two divers, whose job it was to control the two submersibles that had been provided. The other grad students were very giddy, as they suspected that they had been specifically chosen by the professor. I knew that he'd probably chosen us because he wouldn't have to pay us. The professor clapped his hands and we began to climb into the sub we were designated to. I was relieved that I wasn't claustrophobic as it was beyond cramped in there. One of the other students, Adam, joked that he hoped that no one had had beans last night as a fart would probably suffocate us. It was met with half-hearted groans as he smiled away to himself. The professor gave him an annoyed look, which wiped the smile off Adam's face. I watched through the window as we carefully lowered into the water. I felt a shiver run up my spine as we were finally fully submerged. Our pilot, Billy, started moving us forward and was using the sonar to see if he could find anything else down there. The lights of the sub lit up the lake and gave the water an ominous look. We saw very little in the first hour or two apart from a couple of startled fish who swam away almost as soon as they appeared. The other sub came in over the intercom and announced that they'd found an underwater cave. The professor instructed Billy to head over to the other sub so we could check it out. We moved both of the subs into the cave and sank down for almost a minute. We followed the course of the cave for almost ten minutes until we finally surfaced inside a gigantic underground cavern. It was lit by some weird natural light that made it both beautiful and also terrifying. Billy confirmed that the air outside was breathable, and we all climbed out to explore. Billy and the other pilot stood around the subs to make sure nothing happened to them. The professor began issuing orders, and we rushed around following his instructions. We were paired in teams of two, and I was stuck with Adam. We moved to the far end of the cavern, and I had to listen to an endless stream of bad jokes from him. I hoped that my silence would make him shut up, but he didn't take the hint. We were walking along the edge of the water on our way back to the others when I noticed something gigantic moving under the surface. I tried to point it out to Adam, but it had disappeared before he could see it. We reached the others, and none of them had discovered anything of interest. One of the girls, Jenny, had found a small cave system but only gone in a small distance. The professor looked crestfallen as he'd obviously expected to find something to placate his investors. Adam opened his mouth to tell another joke when he was cut off by an ear-splitting scream. We rushed in the direction of the screams to find Billy being dragged along the ground toward the water, something that looked like a tentacle but was as black as the night sky wrapped around his legs. Billy's face was contorted into a look of pure agony. 
I grabbed onto his arm and Adam grabbed the other and we attempted to pull him free. Another student, who I think was called George, rushed forward and began stomping on the tentacle. Another tentacle came out of nowhere and smashed into George and sent him flying across the cavern. I heard a sickening thud as his body collided with the far wall. We managed to pull Billy free in this time and began to move as far away from the water as possible. Billy kept screaming at the top of his lungs as his legs had been crushed. We watched dozens of tentacles appear out of nowhere out of the water and drag the submersibles beneath the surface. The other pilot was nowhere to be found and I assumed that he'd already been dragged to his death. We gathered at the far corner of the cavern and I tried to plan how we could escape. My eyes kept being drawn to George's corpse which lay upon the floor only a few feet away. We argued for hours with none of us able to come up with an idea that we could all agree to. We decided for the present time to get some sleep for the moment. We were all exhausted and it seemed like the best idea for the moment. Billy's screams were keeping me awake, but they were silenced after an hour. I woke the next morning and looked over to see that someone had slit Billy's throat overnight. No one admitted to it, but we all pretend like nothing happened. It was decided that we'd try the cave system that Jenny had found. We made our way over, and it looked extremely tight, but we should all fit through. We started moving one by one through the caves, with myself in the lead and Adam following close behind. We used our torches to help us navigate our way through. There were small holes on the edges of the cave, and I kept seeing something darting in and out of them. I never got a chance to get a close look at them as they vanished before I got a closer look. I reached the edge of the cave and stepped into a cavern that dwarfed the other cavern. It was at least ten times bigger, and I could barely see the edge in the distance. It was lit by the same strange light that had illuminated the other cavern. The others slowly came out of the caves and joined me in the cavern. They were standing around, waiting for Jenny as she was in the very rear. After a few minutes, we began to get worried, and I went back in to find her. Carefully, I made my way back as I kept getting a weird feeling that I was being watched. I kept glancing in all directions as my mind was telling me that I was going to get attacked. I tripped over something and fell face first onto the ground. My torch fell out of my hand and went out. My heart started pounding and I was now in complete darkness and I kept hearing skittering noises all around me. I began moving my hands along the ground in a desperate attempt to find the torch. My hand brushed against something with thick fur that darted away. I let out a screech and backed away and once again tripped. I landed hard on the ground but luckily came to a rest on top of the torch. I quickly switched it on and shone it around me. I was greeted at the sight of Jenny's corpse which looked like it had bites taken out of it. I shone the light around once again and froze as I saw dozens of what looked like spiders advancing toward me. They were the size of cats and had thick black fur with red eyes that were locked onto mine. I jumped up and began running forward, hoping that I was heading toward the others. I burst out into the cavern and was greeted by a sea of worried faces. It took me a minute or two to get my breath back, and then I explained what I'd found. The professor 
squeezed my shoulder to offer some comfort. He then told me to follow him as we were going to make our way further into the cavern. It became clear that we were on a higher part of the cavern, and we reached an edge that gave us a view of what was below. I let out a gasp as I gazed down at the floor which was littered with thousands of bones. Even from this distance, they seemed enormous, as if it was an elephant's graveyard. Many of the bones still had flesh on them, so they died recently. We went back to the others, and we agreed to move down into the lower part of the cavern to see if there was anything on the far side. We all walked in silence as we passed the bones. They were awe-inspiring close up as you could walk between them with your arms outstretched and not touch the opposite side. Whatever animal these belonged to was larger than any of us had ever seen. We froze when we heard a noise in the distance and rushed to cover. We then watched as the creature that looked like a dinosaur peered out of the water that was pooling at the edge of the cavern. It began moving toward us in a lethargic way. It had a long neck that reminded me of a giraffe and a big, bloated belly. I recognized it immediately as I looked in the pictures of the Loch Ness Monster that had been circulating for years. It stopped a short distance from us and then rolled over dead. The professor began moving forward and I yelled at him to stop. He either didn't hear me or ignored me as he kept going. He placed his hands on Nessie's stomach and then let out a yell of triumph. He then turned around and told us to take some pictures so that he could show everyone what we found. Before any of us could reach for some cameras, there was a ripping sound and Nessie's stomach suddenly exploded. Thousands of those spiders flooded out and quickly engulfed the professor. His screams were quickly silenced as they feasted on his flesh. Three of the other students were consumed by the spiders before they even had time to react. The rest of us began running off in the opposite direction. I could hear the skittering noises of the spiders grow faint as we quickly outran them. We reached another cave system and rushed inside. It was now just myself, Adam, and another student, Lily. We used our torches and moved forward for almost an hour. We decided to try and get them sleep as we hadn't seen anything else living in quite some time. I had a dream of spiders feasting on my eyeballs and awoke in a cold sweat. We ate our meager supplies the next morning and then set off. We reached a room that was lit by sunlight that was streaming from high above. The walls had a number of cracks that could be used as handholds. We started carefully climbing, with me once again leading the way. We were halfway up when I heard a scraping noise from below and looked down to see Lily losing her grip and then beginning to fall. We locked eyes as she silently plummeted to the ground. She didn't make a sound, and I almost vomited it, watching her skull being shattered by stone on the floor below. Her dead eyes were still locked on mine, and felt like they were blaming me for her death. Adam tapped me on the bottom of my foot, which awoke me from my trance, and I started climbing once again. We were near the top when Adam told me to shush, as he could hear something. We both looked around but didn't see anything. 
one of the spiders suddenly jumped out of one of the holes we'd been using as handholds and landed on Adam's face. Without thinking, he tried to use both of his hands to rip it off. Time seemed to slow down as I watched the realization on his face as he realized that he was falling to his death. I turned away at the last moment but still heard the sickening thud as his body landed on the ground. I finished my climb and found myself in some woods. I made my way back to the nearest village and explained what happened to the locals. They didn't seem shocked at my story and let me ring my parents and offered me some food and drink. I tried to explain this to people, but none ever believed me, and all the people who went with me on that expedition are listed as missing. I was never able to find that cave that I escaped from. I beg you all to stay away from Loch Ness, as there are worse things living there than the Loch Ness Monster. hope you all enjoyed that story. I do have another one for you very, very soon. Don't worry. But I had another quick question. Um, growing up in a very rural part of North Carolina, a very country, very southern, very not city part of North Carolina, I've never really used public transit. And when I did, I didn't have a great experience. So, this is why I'll never ride the subway again. Hello? Is this thing on? Not really good at this whole internet thing. My generation was keener to face-to-face interaction, not stuff like this. After years of therapy, though, my doctor thinks that maybe this is just the thing I need. My name is Robert Mason, and I have the worst case of cytogeromophobia my psychologist has ever seen. I'm sorry, but I, I can't help but feel like this is pointless. Most likely, there's nothing any of you can say to make me feel better. I'll never ride the subway again. What happened to me all those years ago, it had to be a one in a million experience. I've never seen or heard anything like it since then. Nothing in the newspaper, nothing on TV. If anyone has even come close to experiencing the same thing, they've been just as spooked as I was, as I still am some nights when the nightmares blur with reality. It was New York in the 1980s, the era of bright clothes and poofy hair. I was just a fresh-faced youth with some not-so-fresh acne and sporting a mullet that would have Andre Agassi in tears. Back in the day, the subway may have not been the greatest place to be, but if you kept your wits about you, you'd most likely be alright. It got me from home to school to work and back again. My folks weren't really thrilled with the idea of me riding the subway because, well, as I explained, it was never really the best place to be, especially back then. The graffiti-stained tunnels, the homeless living and defecating down there, not to mention the drug use. Being the hothead that I was, though, none of that mattered to me. Nothing could scare me. Besides, my dad was a factory worker, and my mom worked 18-hour-plus days as a nurse, and they still just barely cleared 20 grand a year. A car was just out of the question. 
In what I now look back at as a sad attempt to make myself feel higher up on the social ladder, I like to pretend that the subway was my own personal limousine, complete with my very own driver and everything. Just a lot of smellier and about as dirty and disrespected as a public restroom. One Saturday evening, I'll never forget, I was exhausted as hell. A good buddy of mine had called in sick, so I'd come into work on my day off and cover for them. The car I was in was particularly packed, and there was a guy who had these insanely long fingernails. I can remember feeling sick as I watched him gnawed his fingernails like some tasty bedtime snack. I'd like to pretend that was dirt underneath them, but God knows what it really was. Gross as it was, I sat back in my seat and tried my best to ignore it and maybe get in a cat nap until my stomp came up. About 20 minutes went by. And finally, the man decided to take a break from his late-night fingernail feast and sit right next to me, of all places. Either he hadn't bathed in a week, or he'd freshly shit his pants. I'm not sure which of the two made me feel any better. I tried any ploy I could think of to get this guy to leave me alone, pretended to be fast asleep, turned opposite of him. Alas, he still felt the need to tap me on the shoulder. Excuse me there, young man. Have you heard the good news? His crusty lips had to pry themselves apart as he muttered the question. What's that? I responded, being a smartass. You discovered a toothbrush? Man, I've got news for you. Find some toothpaste and just add water. You'll be amazed. No, no, silly young man. My insult took the one-way express and just went through what was a clearly empty head. You must be confused. I'm talking about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, let me just take a moment to get this out of the way right now. I'm not a bigoted or racist kind of guy, or whatever you want to call it. I could care less what color or creed you are. It doesn't make any kind of difference to me whatsoever. That being said, I was never exactly the first person at church, when I actually went, to extend my hand and offer blessings of peace. I don't particularly care to shake hands with someone who probably didn't even watch them, and religion was just never my style, and there was absolutely no way some strange subway guy was going to magically convert me within the span of a few stops. <sighs> Alright, look here, guy. I sighed, my inner smartass about to reemerge. I'm Jewish. Now, I don't know if you've heard the bad news, but he's not exactly on speaking terms with my people, so why don't you do yourself a favor and find somebody else to talk to, okay? Suddenly my face grew numb and I was seeing stars. The son of a bitch smacked me dead square across the face. Looking back, I more than likely deserved it, but at the moment, boy, I was pissed off. The next thing I knew, his hands were wrapped around my neck. You heathen, the man shouted. You dare come into my sanctuary and mock the good Lord. Blasphemy. If I didn't think this guy had a few screws loose to begin with, what he did next pretty much confirmed my suspicions. Again, I'm no expert, but I'm positive he was quoting scripture that didn't even exist. Boy, you ain't heard of Psalm 734-777. And the good Lord said, Let he who believes ride on this here train to salvation, and may he look out the windows and remind all those on the tracks below him that they've rejected salvation and embraced ignorance. His hands getting tighter around my neck, I clamored as best I could. Get off me, you crazy fuck! 
had managed to get my hand in my pants pocket and was close to retrieving my pocket knife. If some of the other people inside the car with us had waited maybe a millisecond or so longer, I would have perhaps been another statistic, one of the 250 or so crimes committed on the subway every week during that time. It would have been so easy to just plunge the knife right into his neck and watch him gasp for air as it slowly filled my lungs with relief. I carried it with me for just a situation such as this. If only I could have. Perhaps everything would have transpired differently. Cops would have shown up and I'd been pulled out of the car right then and there, but life had other plans for me. Some good Samaritans wrestled the freak off me and shoved him out onto the station as we arrived at the next stop. They formed a phalanx around me to make sure he wasn't getting near me again if he decided to reboard. He made no such attempt, though. As the door closed on him, he flattened his hand and face against the window, giving me the coldest, most emotionless stare I'd ever seen before. It's etched into my memory to this day. You... He looked undoubtedly deranged as he squawked at me. Find your inner peace, for you die tonight. The revulsion in his words rattled me to my core. The subway started up again and began to pull away. The crazy bastard tried his best to keep up and started yelling about how people like me were a menace to the world that must be exterminated. Once we got far enough from the station, he must have given up on his crusade against me because his screams grew smaller and faded into an unpleasant memory. When it was certain that the danger had passed, a couple of people who had come to my aid gave me their full and undivided attention. It took what felt like an eternity to finally convince myself that I'd be alright. I'd assured them that as soon as I made it to my first stop that I would report the incident. What a lie that was, though. I would have been surprised if my pants went up in flames right then and there on the spot. I couldn't breathe a word of this to anyone. In the naivety of my youth, I believed that would bring about the end of my existence. If my parents heard that I got into a fight on the subway, they'd insist I stopped taking it. I'd never be allowed out of their sight again, and I'd be the only one driven to college by his mommy. I had a reputation to uphold. At least this was before the days of social media and cell phones. I could warp information light years away with the click of a button. I got up and headed toward the back of the car where it seemed to be a little less crowded. I'd take a moment to collect myself. My hysterical heart rate slowly calmed as I leaned back and caught my breath. That was probably the biggest confrontation I'd gotten into since middle school. As peace began to flood over me, I noticed that there was one small tender spot on my arm that wasn't going away. Pulling back on my sleeve, I noticed an almost trivial trace of blood that I was sure had not been there before. It almost looked like it was poked or prodded with something, so I figured I must have done it to myself while I was trying to retrieve my pocket knife. As I cleaned the blood, my arms began to grow heavy and weak. This miraculous newfound serenity of mine was quickly turning into a siesta. Everything around me began to go blurry. The last thing I remember is vaguely piecing together some muddled conversations of the other passengers before everything finally went dark. I can't even begin to guess how much time would pass before I would open my eyes again. 
just a good thing I woke back up when I did. Otherwise, I might not be here relaying the story. A substantial amount of sleep followed by an uncertain amount of time and the muddled conversations were entering my ears again as I woke. I was in what could only be described as a state of sleep paralysis. Things were slowly making sense again, but it took every ounce of strength I had just to wiggle my toes. I couldn't open my eyes yet, but if I had to guess, just, there were at least two guys in the immediate area. Hurry, he's waking up. Already? You said this shit would last longer. A third voice entered the conversation. Settle down, boys. This is not an ideal for him anyway, but at least we've got him right where we need him. That voice sent shivers down my paralyzed spine. I pried my eyes open and it took a second to adjust to my surroundings. We weren't the subway car anymore. No, this was different. This was somewhere in the tunnel. Standing above me was that crazy bastard I fought with earlier. There was some kind of reddish substance smeared all over his face in crazy symbols. A few that I could actually make out appeared to be pentagrams or something of that nature. The feeling in my neck began to come back. I slowly jerked it around to try and make more of my surroundings. I was right. This guy had two other people with him. They were all huddled around me in a circle. The trio looked almost identical, all completely bald and draped in black robes. The one from earlier that I fought with seemed to be their leader. He huddled over me like a dark storm cloud. All I could do was peer into his black, bleak eyes as he stared into mine. If his objective was to get me to pray, he succeeded. I would have given any to be anywhere else in the world. I'm sorry about this, young man. The leader fraudulently apologized. You weren't supposed to feel any of this, but what's a little pain and sacrifice to the good Lord? Please, 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 I begged. You don't have to do this. But we do, he responded. Through the consumption of contaminated flesh and blood, you shall be made pure again, made whole. He withdrew a rusty knife from within his robe and began to tear away at my shirt, ripping an X in my clothes right by my heart. By this point, I was starting to get feeling back in the rest of my body again, but I needed a little bit more time. Since I could now talk a little better, I began running my mouth as fast as I could, anything to keep him occupied. Come on, man, please. I'm sorry about what I said earlier. Just let me go. Nothing's happened yet. Just forget the whole thing. You've seen inside our sanctuary. I couldn't possibly let you go now, he responded. Come on, I begged. I'll give you all my money. Bribery? How dare you? One of the man's followers shouted. I tried to spin it any other way I could. No, no, not bribery. Call it a gift. Think of it as a donation to your sanctuary and your cause. <laughs> the leader devilishly chuckled. You've already given the greatest donation of all, your body and blood. He raised the rusty knife into the air. Suddenly the feeling started to come back in my arms and legs. I could feel the weight of my wallet and the pocket knife still in my jeans. Crazy bastards must have never even thought about trying to rob me in the first place. Oh, thank God they never thought to check for a weapon. 
As the feeling entered my body more and more, I began gingerly inching my hand toward my pocket. Perhaps in the darkened tunnel they wouldn't notice. Well, I said, if this is how it's got to be, may a condemned man at least be granted some final words? Say your peace, young man. The leader nodded his head. Might I suggest a Hail Mary? I could feel my pocket knife slithering out of my jeans and into my hand. Have you heard the good news? I began to whisper slowly, descending into a roar. Make peace with your God. You're the one dying tonight. I jumped up as quick as I could and tackled the leader, plunging my pocket knife into his neck. To this day, I'm still not sure how I escaped the grasp of the other guys. Maybe it was divine intervention after all. Down the tunnel in the distance, I could see a subway car stopped, and I began my mad dash toward it, not even bothering to look back. All that mattered was getting out of there. Careful. Don't damage him. The leader's blood-curdled screams echoed down the tunnel. No sooner than I jumped into the subway car was the door closing behind me. I leaned over to catch my breath for a second. I could hear the trio banging on the door, eager to tear through it and mutilate me. When I looked back up, I realized something. This car was empty. Where was everyone? For a second, I thought maybe I had wandered onto an abandoned line, or perhaps maybe one that was undergoing repairs or something of that nature. After searching the car up and down, I happened to notice there was actually one other person around. He was hunched over in a seat on the opposite end. One of his legs was stretched out across the seats. He was so engrossed in his foot that he didn't seem to even notice me. Hello, sir? Can you hear me? I began to inch away closer toward him. I need some help. I'm under attack. Still no response. The guy clearly lived around these parts. He had tattered clothes to prove it. Long, graying hair covered the front of his face, hiding any discernible features. I was maybe two or three seats away when I could clearly see what he was up to. One of his shoes was off, not that the dirty, eviscerated pair was doing him any good anyway, and his sock was rolled all the way down past his foot. I stared in horror as I watched him peel off dead, almost rotting flesh off his feet. His foot oozed blood and had something poking through it which I can only assume were parts of his bone, which he was gnawing at profusely. The banging on the door started up again. One of the attackers on the outside began to holler, Cyrus, you in there, boy? You in there? Go on, get him. He stopped chomping away at his foot and looked up at me, one eye peering through his lengthy hair. Oh, shit. I muttered to myself. I took off and headed into the next car as quick as I could. Now I had this crazy feral guy on my ass, and his foot didn't seem to be a hindrance to him. My lungs burned with red-hot intensity as I tried my best to keep my distance between me and him. If there was any chance of me getting out of this now, I needed to get to the center of the train at the conductor's area. It was my only hope of getting off the train and perhaps onto a station platform. Before I knew what even happened, I tripped while running in mid-run and banged my head against one of the seats, allowing Crazy Foot Guy to catch up to me. I was so dizzy and confused that I just started kicking and hoping for the best. I thought I was done for when he let out a monstrous howl that sounded almost more wolf than human. 
Almost immediately afterward, there was a dead silence. Not even a peep from a mouse or any other rodent, I'm sure, inhabited this train. Just like that, he was gone. Maybe I hit him on a soft spot on his foot when I was kicking away. Got up and looked around, my eyes throbbing from where I'd fallen, and I could already tell it was going to swell up like a balloon. My heart was beating faster than it had before, but I tried my best to remain cool and collected. About a minute or so later, I made it into the conductor's car. I had a throbbing headache at this point, but didn't give a crap about anything. I pushed every button and pulled every lever I could see and hoped for the best. A loud, thunderous moan began to conquer the silence as the doors slowly opened up. I'm not sure what station I was at exactly, but I could tell this one hadn't been actively used for a while, for whatever reason. I began to step onto the platform when an uncomfortable thought completely overtook me and froze me in my tracks. With everything open now? Who's to say they weren't out there just waiting for me to step off the train? When I was sure the coast was clear, I made my way through the station as inconspicuously as I could and headed for the first set of stairs that made themselves known. That was it. My big moment. Just a few more steps to freedom. I never thought I'd be so happy to smell fresh New York air again. I remember just making it outside, catching that first glimpse of a yellow taxi and a hot dog vendor before I collapsed to the ground in exhaustion and everything went black again. When I came to this time, I was in a hospital, hooked up to IVs and unsure of what day it was anymore. I'd sworn to myself that no one would ever know what had happened to me, but like I said, life had other plans. After the doctors and nurses were sure I was stable, the police were amongst my first visitors, followed by my parents, my mom sobbing her eyes out. I did my best to work with the authorities, but no one was ever found down there. Nobody even came forward to identify themselves as the ones who'd helped me in my original scuffle. That was the last time I ever took the subway, and I will never go down there again. On my last day in the hospital, I received an anonymous bouquet of Get Well flowers and a card that read, Perhaps you found peace after all, young man. Enjoy it while you can. My friends and I will be here waiting for you when you come back. I hope you all are enjoying the story so far tonight because I need your help. I'm trapped on a cruise ship that won't allow any of its passengers to disembark or die. I remember... The pure ecstasy I felt the moment I opened the envelope and discovered that I'd won an all-expenses-paid cruise. I'd never won anything in my life, so I was overjoyed to win something so incredible. At the time, I didn't even think about the fact that I didn't remember entering any competitions. I'd been extremely depressed lately, and this was the perfect pick-me-up. The big day arrived, and I stood on the quay and gazing at the gigantic cruise ship and was in awe of its beauty. It had a weird name, called Chiron, which seemed familiar, but I couldn't place where I knew it from. I made my way to the gangway and handed over my ticket to the crew member standing watch. 
He didn't even gaze at it before waving to me to climb on board. I was pretty much on cloud nine when I finally took my steps onto the boat. I was standing there with the biggest smile on my face when a guy came running up to me and screamed, What's up? right in my face. I started to laugh as I hadn't heard anyone say that phrase in almost 20 years. The laughter died in my throat as I gazed up into his face. He had an unhinged, manic look that made me take a few steps back until I bumped into the railing. His eyes were completely bloodshot, and I couldn't see any trace of white in his eyeballs. He once again screamed, Wazzah! before running off. I stood there shaking for a few minutes as I didn't really know what to do. I was aroused from my thoughts when the ship's horn blared and we started moving. I gazed around in confusion, as no one else had climbed aboard since I had embarked. I decided to just find my cabin and put away my luggage so that I could do some exploring. I started to get uneasy as I made my way to a cabin as I didn't see anyone else. I was relieved when I found it and immediately unloaded my luggage and changed into something more comfortable. I checked myself in the mirror and grimaced as I saw a few gray hairs were starting to show. I opened the door to my cabin and walked outside with the plan to find the nearest bar. I could hear voices in the distance and began making my way toward them. I was turning a corner when I saw the same guy from earlier standing on top of the railway. He must have heard me because he turned and locked eyes with me. He half-heartedly said, What's up? Before jumping overboard. I rushed forward and looked over the railing, but I couldn't see his body. I saw a few sharks circling behind the ship and knew that they'd probably killed him. My legs felt like lead as I gazed behind the ship. The sharks were following us as if they were waiting for food. I decided the best course of action was to find a crew member and explain to them what had happened. The voices I heard from earlier were growing louder and I finally discovered the source which appeared to be a ballroom. I pushed open the doors and moved inside. The room instantly went quiet and dozens of eyes were now locked on me. I felt a shiver down my spine as I looked around at everyone. They all had the same manic look on their faces and their clothes were all mixed and matched from different time periods. The conversations once again started as my novelty quickly ended. I tried to talk to people but they would just shush me and then continue talking. I was about to give up hope when an old woman waved me over. She was using a knife to clean dirt from between her nails and reminded me of my great aunt Gladys. Her face was covered in wrinkles and she looked like she'd been beautiful a long time ago. She gave me a warm smile and ushered me to sit down. She asked how long I'd been on board and grimaced when I said that I'd arrived today. I laughed when she said that she'd been on board since 1945. The serious look on her face made me stop laughing. She reached over and squeezed my hand and told me that there is no escaping this ship. I was sitting there in shock at what she said when she grabbed my hand and then used the knife to slice off two of my fingers. I began screaming in agony while she picked up the fingers and threw them in her mouth. She opened her mouth after a few minutes and I saw my fingers were gone. She started to stand up and I jumped away. 
Everyone else in the room was watching us now, and I could see that some of their gazes were fixated on my blood-soaked hand. They were licking their lips, and some began to stand up. I ran toward the doors that I'd entered and rushed out before slamming the door behind me. I placed all my weight against it as someone from inside was trying to get out. They gave up after a few moments, but I didn't move in case it was a ploy to get me to move. When I was sure that it was safe, I began to make my way back into my cabin. I saw two children running toward me and I screamed when I finally got a good look at their faces. It looked like someone had peeled the skin off piece by piece and you could now see parts of their skull poking through. They rushed by me while giggling and didn't even make a second glance. I began to run and rushed inside my cabin and locked the door behind me. My room had been trashed while I was away and a lot of my clothes were missing. I grabbed a shirt and ripped it open around my bleeding fingers in the hopes of stimming the flow of blood. I must have passed out because the next thing I remember is waking up on the cabin floor. I looked down at my hand and was relieved to see the bleeding had stopped. I peered out the door and saw a fire axe down the hallway. I grabbed the axe as it might protect me from the other passengers. I started searching the ship but couldn't find any crew members. I ducked into cover any time I heard passengers coming. I was about to give up searching when I heard a familiar voice ahead of me. I tiptoed forward and spotted the woman who'd eaten my fingers. She was bent over something while talking to a man who was standing beside her. She stood up suddenly and I quickly moved back around the corner before they could spot me. Their voices began to move away and I waited until I could no longer hear them before moving once again. I walked over to see what the woman had been doing. I almost vomited as I uncovered the macabre scene. The two children from yesterday lay face down on the floor with their skulls crushed in and a large chunk of their brain was now missing. I fell to the ground when they jumped up and looked down at me before running off. I started hyperventilating as I couldn't comprehend what I'd just witnessed. I spent the next few days going over every inch of the ship that I could safely explore. I ran into a few other passengers throughout this time and had to flee them as they hungrily advanced on me. I had to use an axe to crush in one of their skulls and yet somehow he walked away with the axe still embedded in it. I made one sickening discovery during this time which gives me chills even to remember. I had been searching some of the nearby cabins that were close to my own. I walked into one of them to find a skeleton lying on the bed. All of the skins and muscles had already rotted away. Grabbing a nearby blanket to cover the body when the skeleton turned its head and begged me to kill it. I ran out of the cabin so fast that I probably set a new land speed record. Yesterday we pulled into a port and I grabbed my stuff with the intentions of disembarking. I reached at the gangway and regarded it as my salvation. The koi looked deserted and there seemed to be only one crew member standing at the bottom placed my foot on the gangway and began to move forward. I immediately became disoriented and felt something latch onto my leg. I froze in terror as I looked down at an endless black abyss filled with thousands of rotting corpses. Many of them were somehow making their way toward me. One of them had a grip on my ankle and was pulling me downward toward the others. I lashed out my other leg and kicked them repeatedly until they let go. 
I fell backwards onto the deck of the ship with a rotting hand still attached to my leg. I quickly wrenched it free and lobbed it overboard. I stood up and stared at the gangway as it looked completely normal once again. A family of four walked up the gangway and the parents were giving me concerned looks as they moved past me. One of their children kept glancing back at me as they moved away. I wished that I'd warned them not to come on board, but it was too late now. The next day, I was making my way along in hopes of finding something to eat. I stopped dead in my tracks as I spotted the decapitated head of the child from yesterday. Her body was nowhere to be seen, and there were bloody stains on the floor, which makes me think someone had dragged it away. She suddenly opened her eyes and asked me to help her find her mommy and daddy. I picked up her head and told her I would help as best I could. I dropped her over the railing and hoped that this will release her from this ship. The sharks instantly devoured her and I felt a tear running down my cheek. I now stand beside the railing looking back at the sharks and wondering if the WhatsApp guy had made the right choice. I'm beginning to wonder if I'll be brave enough to make the same choice as him to escape this cruise from hell.